Hey, happy Sunday. How are you guys doing? Good? We're going to be participating in something that, that like I said, uh, many churches are involved in, something known as Advent Conspiracy. It's really just uh, returning Christmas uh, to, to the church as Jesus established it and not uh, this kind of modern American consumerism uh, kind of market that we've made it and just kind of restoring that. So we're going to be a part of that. You're going to hear more about that in the coming weeks. Uh, but I want to kind of bring you uh, a few weeks forward to, but also really far back, to the time when you were a little kid in, in the, the day before Christmas and that night before. You remember how, like, trouble you have sleeping? Like, you're so restless and there's so much anxiety and you just, you can't rest. You just want, you're, you're excited about the next day. You know, do you guys remember that feeling? I, I know for, for most of us it's been a long time since we've had that feeling, but just kind of remember back with me what that felt like, that anxiety and that kind of anxiousness, that waiting, the anticipation that would kind of build up towards Christmas. Like, every day it gets harder and harder to look at those presents and, and not open them. <clears throat> so the excitement uh, makes us do really crazy things, and, and my wife... It, is one of those that was driven to do crazy things um, because of that excitement and because of that anticipation. When she was in seventh grade, her and her brother Clint uh, thought it would be cool when mom and dad weren't at the house to unwrap all of the presents. Some of you have probably done this before. They unwrapped all of them, but they were so smart, they rewrapped them all so much so that mom didn't find out. Like, mom and dad didn't find out. They didn't find out at Christmas. They didn't find out in the new year. They didn't find out the next year. They didn't find out the year after that. Seven or eight years later, they're like, oh, mom, I got something I want to get off my heart, get off my chest, and, and breaks the news that, uh, that they've, um, they've opened all the presents when she was in seventh grade. And so she wanted to, everybody to know that she's not that devious anymore. She, she wanted to make sure you guys know she's not that devious anymore. But I will have you know that that statement was followed with a very like evil, maniacal laugh. Like, bah, ha, 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 ha. That's what it was followed by after she said, I'm not that devious anymore. Ha, 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 ha. So she wanted you to know that. Uh, but we all have kind of sensed an anticipation and excitement. That's really what the Advent season is about. It's about the coming of Christ and that anticipation and excitement that we should begin to, to celebrate. It's a tradition of the church for for a long time, uh, to, to, to just kind of set this, this time of year um, aside and, and kind of look forward to the birth of Christ and celebrating that kind of in its fullness in this season. Uh, and the thing about anticipation and waiting is that it invokes emotion, and I think it invokes really beautiful emotion, like a bride that's waiting to see her husband or a husband or a groom that's waiting to see his bride on that day that they're to be married, or children as they're waiting for mom and dad to come home, that anticipation, that excitement, it invokes some really beautiful emotion. I, I, um, I, I've talked about it before, like when they show like, um, like the military families and, and the kids haven't seen their, their, their you know, parents in a long time and they see them, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a mess when I watch those videos. It invokes some really beautiful emotions, but we don't really get that much. Like we, all that comes out for us with waiting and anticipation is frustration, like standing in lines and traffic and vacation at Disneyland, like lines. That's all we know is like those negative emotions, but there's some really beautiful emotions. And so my heart, my prayer, our, our, our prayer during this season is that this waiting and this anticipation that's kind of building up each week um, to celebrate the coming of Christ, that it would really birth in us a sincere uh, reflection and, and contemplative time about our lives and what God's called us to and the way we're living. It would, it would birth in us deeper worship. It would birth in us a longing for the real, the presence of, of Christ in our life. 
the presence of God in our life and just longing for that. So that's what I would hope that would come out of this. And we're going to kind of wrap this Advent season in this theme of a stable influence. And the deeper that I go in and just preparing for this series and what God's been doing, at first I was like, yeah, this is going to be a great series, God. Like, I I don't quite get everything you're doing here, but as, as we're kind of beginning to launch into it, God's revealing that it is extremely deep for us as individuals. I think in all of this kind of madness that goes on in Christmas, it becomes very impersonal spiritually to us. It becomes boxed. You know what I mean? We, we, we do this because this is what happens. We, we go to church because this is what happens. We get together with family because that's just what we do. And it, it becomes so impersonal. And so I hope that somehow that, that through this series of stable influence, God will speak to us individually and he'll speak to us as a community because I think all of this is done by God. And I think it's setting us up for where he's sending us next year as a community, as a group of people in this room. And, and I really believe that God's going to do some incredible things through us and in us um, and, and so we're going to wrap it in, in this idea of a stable influence and look at, at the life of, of Mary and Joseph and really just the way that Jesus came to the earth and lived because I think there's really two kind of things that are kind of at the core of it. It is humility and faithfulness. When you look at the lives of Mary and, and, and Joseph, why they were chosen by God to, to lead Jesus and, and the way that Jesus came to the earth, there's such humility and there's such faithfulness through his life. So I think those are going to kind of be some core elements, and, and, and it spoke to me because I think today to start this off, God wants to speak to us about calling, about calling, and, and when God calls you, that we each have a, a general call uh, to, to be more like Jesus, to, to live and to walk and follow him. That's a, a general call that's given to all of us. I call it general, but it's very specific to each of us. I don't mean that to demean us in any way, but it's general. But then there's specific calls in our life that God has unique things for each of us to do in this world. He's gifted us and enabled us, but something at the core of each one of us is humility and faithfulness that it's going to take to to walk in the call that God's given us. It's going to take humility and faithfulness, and so there's just kind of a motto that God's given given um, me to for us to kind of be our motto for, for the rest of this year, and it's that we're humbled by the call and we're faithful to the call. We're humbled by the call, and we're faithful to the call. And so we're going to dive into Advent. Uh, and so in the first series, it's going to be very narrative. So many times we don't really speak in narrative. It's like very textual, like we look at a text and we digest it, like pull it apart. So it's still going to be like that in some ways, but it's narrative uh, uh, as we enter Advent. So with the beginning of a narrative series, uh, it's going to take a lot of introduction and kind of breaking down some ideas, making sure we're all on the same page before we launch off into the story. Okay, so let me kind of set a couple things up. First, um, Advent. Advent really, it means coming. I mean, I, I was talking about it a little bit. It means coming. It, it's the anticipation, again, that kind of sets it up. So that's kind of the first kind of puzzle piece to this. Uh, the coming of Christ is what we're, we're to celebrate. Uh, the other thing that we're going to be looking at is we're going to be looking in the Gospels. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Most of you know that. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, three of those are what we know as synoptic Gospels. That means synoptic. We see them together. That means they're chronological. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the first three in the New Testament, those last 27 books of the Bible, Matthew and Luke are the ones that put it chronologically. So, and Matthew and Luke, are, or Matthew, Mark, and Luke put it chronologically. Matthew and Luke are the ones that actually include the birth of Jesus in that kind of narrative, okay? So Matthew and Luke, so we'll be looking at those two texts predominantly through this series. Today we're going to focus on Luke chapter 1. And, and I want to let you know a little bit about Luke. Luke is an interesting 
an interesting guide. Luke was a doctor. Luke was a physician. That he was a Syrian um, Greek physician. Um, what we know is kind of like uh, ancient, I guess, Syria, um, not not modern day Syria. So he was a physician. Um, he's a, he was a scholar. He was like a a, a, um, a scientist and a historian. He really dug in and cared about the history that he was a part of. He knew that this was kind of a big deal that he was kind of right in the midst of. Uh, um, uh, historians uh, also say that he was, a, was an artist. He was one of the first artists to kind of begin to draw what, what are known in, in the Orthodox tradition as icons, or in, in the Catholic tradition as icons. Um, we, we, you know, he, he drew some of the you know, early church fathers and drew pictures of Mary and, and the baby. Uh, he was one of the first ones to, to draw some of those things. Really interesting thing you might not know. So he was an artist, a, a historian. He was a physician. He was among you know, the 70 disciples that Jesus sent out. Luke was probably among that 70 that was sent out. And, and at the beginning of Luke chapter 1, as we begin to dive into the text, Luke, at Luke chapter 1 um, really gives us a picture uh, of his, his purpose in writing this. The first few verses say, you know, really, I, I, a lot of people have put out writings about the things that are happening. He's like, but I want to put together an orderly account. And even modern day archaeologists and historians say that Luke is to be considered one of the foremost best historians really there ever was. I mean, he, he's just top-notch, first-class kind of historian. So what we're reading here isn't some kind of Joe Schmo on, on the side of the road that decided to throw some things down that became church tradition. This is this is a top-notch historian that even in today's times, archaeologists and historians say, this guy was first class. So the information we're getting, as crazy as it seems, some of the things that we'll kind of wrap our brain around, it's legit. It's the, it's the closest thing we have to just, you know, just the beauty that, uh, of the miracle and the birth of Christ. And as we enter this text, it's important to realize that, that we're going to zoom in on 12 verses here. But it's important to take just a step back and realize that these 12 verses are fulfilling prophecy from many years ago. And this story isn't just this story, but it's a much bigger story. The story of God in redeeming his people and that, that prophets will come through. If you see it in Isaiah, in, in Micah, you see it in, in so many different places. Just about the birth of Christ, about he would be born of a virgin. He would come from a, a city like Bethlehem which is tiny. I mean, just these incredible things that he would be in the lineage of David. So all these prophecies will come true as we begin to see them fulfilled by one of the most accurate historians um, of all time uh, from Luke. So let's go to, to Luke chapter 1, verse 26 is where we're going to start. But it's important to know right here between this, like verses like 6 through 25 is really the foretelling of John the Baptist. John the Baptist had a mom and a dad. His dad was Zechariah. His mom was Elizabeth. <clears throat> and, and they were righteous. They were blameless people is what the text says. You can look for it yourself there in Luke chapter 1. They were blameless people. They, they walked right in the sight of God. And, and, but she was, she was old and she couldn't have children. She'd never been able to have children, which was a major honor thing and, and a disgrace thing in their society. And so uh, but she'd never been able to have it. So Zechariah works as the, at the temple um, like a good Jew. And so he, he volunteers at the church, if you will. Uh, it was like a duty for them. They had to do it. So he's volunteering at the church one day. And uh, he, he goes in and he, he's visited by an angel named Gabriel. We've heard of this, this, this angel. He's visited by an angel named Gabriel. 
And at this time, he's like shocked and he doubts because the angel says that you're gonna, your, your wife's going to have a kid. And like for folks you know, that, that are up in their years and that they've never been able to have children, you just begin to doubt for a while. And so he had that and God shut his mouth where he couldn't speak for a long time. He shut his mouth and so he walks out and he can't speak and people are like, that was weird, he can't speak now. And so his wife ends up getting pregnant. Elizabeth gets pregnant and, and as she's, she goes into seclusion for five months, like not going to see anybody for five months. So none of her family really know what's going on. She's been in seclusion. So at the very end of this passage, right before the passage we're looking at here, she, uh, Elizabeth says from her lips, she says that the Lord has shown his favor on me and taken this disgrace away from me. He's shown his favor on me. I want to remember that word favor. I want you to remember that it's Gabriel. I want you to remember that they're righteous and blameless as we enter this text right here. Okay, so we're going to take these, that's our setup. That's our introduction. I know that's the boring part for, for most of us, but we've got to We've got to lay, lay a bed and a foundation for where we're going throughout this entire series. So we're going to start in verse 26 here, and, and we'll just kind of read straight through the 12 verses, and then we'll come back and dissect it. We'll do what the French call a mouche-bouge. It's the chef's like one perfect bite um, that kind of you know, sets the bed of our taste buds of where we're going to go. So we'll kind of give the mouche-bouge. It's like a little appetizer. It's not an appetizer, but it's like a little appetizer. That'll kind of set our taste buds and prepare us for the full meal we're about to ingest, okay? So let's look here in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. We've seen that favor I talked about already. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel. Since I'm a virgin, obviously, practical question there, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who has been unable to conceive, she's in her sixth month. Remember, she was in seclusion for five months. No one knew about it. This is like getting the news right now. This is posting the picture on Facebook. For no word from God will ever fail. No rhema from God will ever fail. And I love Mary's response here in this final verse we're going to look at. I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. May your rhema to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is an amazing account. And we're getting just such a beautiful text here that we get to dive into. And so let's go back and begin to break this down. But to really do this, I want to do it as if Mary were kind of sharing some things for us again, because I want us to really feel the sense of the personal touch of what God's speaking to us today when it comes to our calling, because Mary had an incredible calling here, 
And I, I just kind of picture if Mary was up here and, and she was sharing like how to approach her calling because she went through some very natural things and some deep things were happening in her life. And I think the angel was actually giving her as much. Gabriel was giving her as much about how to approach her calling than she was actually giving us. But it's things that I think she learned through this. So first, uh, we see that Gabriel appears to Mary, says, greetings, you're highly favored. We had seen that again. Um, and, and I think it's important as we kind of jump into verse 28 here in just a second. The idea of betrothal is a huge kind of setup here. And, and first of all, she's from a, a very small town. You got to get a picture of that. How many of you guys are from small towns? Okay, yeah. Some of you from small towns. I, I'm talking about like we could fit everybody in this room kind of small town. There's like two to three hundred people in the entire town that, that she's from. And, and she's a teenager. She's a virgin, which is like the honorable, like marryable, uh, like girl f- for them. So you've got to get this picture of where she's at and then to know the understanding of what betrothal is. It's not just like an engagement like we talk about. In, in their heritage, betrothal, it was a big deal for you to have sex before you, you were married. Like, it's still a big deal now, I, I, especially in the church. The, the world looks at it a little differently, but in the church, still a big deal. But uh, betrothal, the punishment for that, like of having sex before you married during the betrothal, was actually like worse than if you were to have adultery afterwards. They, they considered it adultery even if it was with your partner. And so, like, punishments were like stoning, beheading, um, you know, being burned alive, like you, you name it, like there was, you pick which one you want, they were all terrible. Those were the terrible consequences of, of this. But so, that, so now that in modern times that they've kind of pushed betrothal and, and marriage right together to kind of eliminate that thing of like having to like cut our kids' heads off, um, good move. Um, uh, so <clears throat> let's, let's, let's dive in here. Verse 28, I think, is, is a powerful one for us. So in, in verse 28, we see this, um, that it says, greetings, you who are highly favored. If you look at the, the, the Greek word here, it's used dozens of times in the New Testament, the word greetings that we see here. But out of the dozens there, 85, 90% of the ones that are used in the, in the New Testament, the actual word that's used is rejoice. It's the word rejoice. So just let's replace that for just a second. And not that the translators were wrong. There's reasoning for why they did greetings because it was like a, it was, it was a greeting. That's what you do. You, you say greetings. But I just have a picture that the angel was trying to tell her something to not be afraid, but to realize she's favored and to rejoice over the incredible gift that she's about to bear. And I think maybe, just maybe, there's that essence that's coming here too rejoice, you're highly favored. And I think if I could say that to us today, rejoice, you're highly favored. In many, in some traditions, they worship Mary because of her role in the birth of Christ. And look, I think she's worthy of honor. I think she was faithful. She was humble. God chose her for a reason. And there's some incredible things that we can learn from her, but I don't think she's to be worshiped mainly because of the Greek verse word here. I, I it is to make graceful. It is to, to make highly blessed. It's a verb that, that's saying rejoice for, for God has made you graceful. God has made you highly blessed. God has favored you. It wasn't something you did of yourself. It was what God did for you. And I think 
for, for some of us, we, we need to stop trying to figure everything out and just like rejoice in it for just a second. Rejoice in it. Figure it out later. Rejoice in it now. Um, I've always enjoyed what I did. It, it's been so easy for me to, to do my quote-unquote job. I, I don't look at it like that. It's just my calling. But some of us are always looking around at everybody else's calling. We want to, you know, you know, look at their family. Why well, don't have my family like that? Or, or this job, or, or or their gifts. Rejoice in your gifts. Rejoice in your calling. Rejoice in your family, in your job. Rejoice in what God's giving you, because you are highly favored as much as the next person. You are highly favored as much as the next person. And, and it's such a beautiful thing thing here in this text that how it ends this verse twenty eight that God is with you. He's with you, and if we have any reason to rejoice in this season, it's because God is with us. His presence is with us, and we're not alone. So you move on to verse 29, and we see that that Mary is like, it says, the scripture says she was troubled and wondering, and, and it's really the word that comes out of this is the word distress. She was not just stressing, but she was a little bit distressed, and the thing that kind of comes out of this, I think that we can take away if, if Mary was going to share something with us, is that be contemplative over your calling. I think Mary was beginning to get a picture, and I think what she was afraid of is like, this is big, like an angel showing up is a big deal when you're a virgin and you know the prophecies I've said about virgins, and you, you know what town... <laughs> yeah the child will be from, and, and the family will be from, and you know that you're in the line of David, so I, maybe, I don't know, maybe in your life you've actually thought that. Like, would it be me? And, and, and so, I, I think she would tell us to be contemplative in your calling. It's a big deal. It's worth, it's a natural response to, to, to wonder and, and try to figure out this thing that God has called you to. So if we do anything in these next four weeks, I pray that the season of Advent and the anticipation, the waiting, would bring us to, to contemplate our calling. I, I know in a little bit we're going to get ready to kind of make up some like cheap resolutions for the new year, but what, what if we just took this four weeks and we just contemplated our calling, like what God was doing? doing in our life, not just like some things we want to do on the outside, but what God is doing on the inside that is going to propel the outside in the future. What, what if we just spent that time, what if this anticipation, this waiting just built an excitement for what God's going to do in us as a people and in us as individuals? Be contemplative over your calling. The Lord is with you. Don't be afraid. You found favor with God. And it goes on to say, you're going to give birth to a son. His name will be Jesus. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. Because in this situation, a woman that's betrothed, like the one that would protect her, the one that would shield her, would be her husband. Uh, the one to be her husband, Joseph. Um, but, but the angel is really kind of setting the kind of framework that this is going to be a different kind of pregnancy. She's, got a, she's getting the explanation on how this is going to go down. And like I'm sure she's thankful for that, even though it's crazy and her brain can't really comprehend it. The, 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 the husband here is going to be God. It's not going to be, uh, 
um, Joseph. And so this is a, a major deal. And there's two things that come into play when, when God gives him the name Jesus. There's two types of honor in this society. One is something known as ascribed honor, and the other which is known as acquired honor. Acquired honor Something that you develop over time, and Luke, in particular, throughout his his um, his gospel, shows over and over and over again that Jesus was faithful and that he, he grew in favor with people. That he had this ascribed or this acquired honor. That over time, people you know they saw him teaching in the temple. They saw him you know probably serving people on a regular basis. That that they saw these things. He's, they saw the miracles that were beginning to happen in his ministry and even much earlier on as he was a child. They saw something special in him, acquired honor. But but even greater is the ascribed honor because it comes from your family position. And, and that God would give him his name. The 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 husband in this case would give him his name as his family position that he is, in fact, deity, and he is, in fact, the Son of God. So this is, this is an enormous kind of thing that's being said here um, about Jesus not only having ascribed honor, which is huge, but acquired honor. I think that speaks to us in our calling, is you have ascribed honor, you have ascribed, I believe, favor, as God has made you graceful and made you blessed, as he's called you sons and daughters, but but also acquired honor, and, and that you build influence, a stable influence with the people around you as you live faithfully and humbly, as we see in the life of Mary. And so you skip down to verse 35, after it talks about just the kingdom of, of, of Jesus never ending, and his reign will never end, and so it's obviously speaking about the enormity of what's taking place here, like this is the Messiah. Can you imagine if that was you, like you were having the Messiah? And, and, and so verse 35 says, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power from the Most High will overshadow you. I think the third thing that Mary would say to us is like, if you want to know like the calling of God, and if you want to stay in the calling that God's given you, you cannot make it about you. You cannot make it about you. And I think that's what's said here. He's, he's giving you something practical, like the Holy Spirit's going to come on you, like this is going to, this is how it's going to happen, like you're going to be impregnated, you know, via Holy Spirit. Crazy, beyond our wildest imagination how this goes down. But then the second part, I think, is even even more, maybe even more, not more important, but it's just as important. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, that it's not about you. Your calling's not about you, and the more you make your calling about you, the further you're actually drifting from the calling that God's given you. The, the more you kind of say, well, what would I like to do? What would I be interested in? The more you kind of think in this realm, the further you're actually drifting away. But the more you say, God, what does it look like to, to live your kingdom on this earth? The closer you're getting to your calling. The, the more uh, in, in your life that you pray and you think, God, uh, uh, you have your will in my life, God. The more you pray like that, your will on earth as it is in heaven the more you begin to think and meditate and contemplate in that realm, the closer you're getting to understanding your calling. So this is a major thing. Don't make it about you. He, he's going to be the son of God. He, he, you know, what if Mary was like, no big deal, I'm just the Messiah's mommy. And like, you know, she wouldn't have her own reality TV show and everything. And, you know, what if she was like, but God knew he needed a humble person. That wasn't going to make it about her. And, and frankly, 
I think she was going to be pretty afraid. Because what will people think? What will people say? And some of you are dealing with that about your calling. What are people going to think? They know where I, I was. You know, how, how are they going to think about me now? And, and it's not to worry about this because it's not about you. It, it's, a, it's, about, it's about Jesus. So three things so far. Rejoice in your calling. Contemplate your calling. And don't make your calling about you. So the next thing, if we look down to 36 and 37, here, here's just on the reel. Just walking in your calling is hard. It's, it's extremely difficult. Like for her to, to kind of just receive this in the way that she is in just a second is, is really huge. And it's a thing that we need encouragement. We're constantly looking and we're constantly finding ways to be discouraged in our calling in, in, in ways in, in which ways to get out of what we feel like God's called us to and, and find other routes to kind of get around, maybe safer routes. But verse, I think, 36 and 37, the angel is giving her something that I think she greatly needs in her time of fear and wondering and contemplation. And, and maybe, just maybe in this room, like you need this same thing in your calling. And, and I think you need to look for encouragement. Because it's hard, and I think the angel is, is, is bringing something to her. He's like, look at Elizabeth. Like, you know your, your cousin Elizabeth? Look at God's faithfulness in her life. She's pregnant. She's like six months pregnant. You guys are going to be pregnant together. That'll be so much fun. <laughs> but he, he's saying something to her. He's like, you need encouragement. And like, if God can be faithful to her who couldn't, who she was old and she couldn't have a, a child, look at, at, at what God can do in your life. This can happen, you know, and he uses the word here that no word from God will ever fail. It's no, no, no rhema is the actual, the Greek root here, no rhema, which is a living kind of present, like specific word for our, our lives. Like if God gives you something, that is not going to fail. If God speaks into your life that that is your calling, that's not going to fail, but it requires humility and it requires faithfulness. And I think it requires this right here, looking for encouragement, those that can bring us along. There's plenty of naysayers, there's plenty of dream killers, but, but it's hard to find those that will encourage your calling. And if there's people in this room right now that can encourage your calling, connect with them. Be inspired, be encouraged. If they're beside you, if they're in their, your anchor group, if they're, you know, in, in this community, in your family, at your job, whatever. Look for that encouragement and be encouraged in your calling. Don't look for ways out of it. Verse 38 is absolutely incredible here. Verse 38 is powerful. And I think if Mary could say anything to us today just to encourage us in her calling and something she lived and she spoke in this very moment in verse 38. She said, I am the Lord's the Greek doula, doula is how we might look at it right now. Is for some of you that are, are familiar with like pregnancy terms, there's a, a role of a woman who comes in and serves the family as a doula. And this is where we get that word, and it means a handmaid, a, a slave, a servant. And Mary says, in response after all this, and then really at this last second, like getting some encouragement from, from Gabriel about Elizabeth. She says, I'm the Lord's servant. I think she just lays herself at, at God's feet. 
and just says, I'm here for whatever. And then, and then she responds basically in the same fashion after the angel said, um, no rhema from God will ever fail. She responds, may your rhema be fulfilled in me. No rhema from God will, will ever fail. And she's, you know, responds with, I'm, a, I'm God's servant. I'm the Lord's servant. May your rhema be fulfilled in me. She responds in the same fashion. May this be as it is. So be it, God. And she just kind of lays herself in. And knowing, I think she knows, like, because she's battling these fears and the contemplation that has only brought more questions than answers. She knows that, and now I believe that, that God is, I believe that God is just so pleased in her, because he sees this humility and this faithfulness is that though she was scared, she stepped out anyway. Though she was uncertain, she said yes anyway. God knew who he was calling here, and he knows who he's calling in you. He knows who he's, what he's stirring up in you. He knows exactly what he's doing I think the last thing she'd say to us, just give yourself away. Just make yourself the Lord's servant on earth as it is in heaven. God, let it be fulfilled through me. And there, there's, there's so, many, so many things we could just dive into here today. But, but just to wrap us up today, I think there's some of us in here that, man, you, maybe you've never given yourself away to Jesus. It, and we've talked about it before. We talked about it last week. It's the easiest thing you can ever do. It's, it takes nothing to receive the grace of God, to receive the mercy, the gift of God's presence. It, t- it takes nothing. I mean, you can't even think about how little it takes. It, Jesus has done everything for you. It takes nothing to receive it. But as we talked about last week, it takes really everything, all you have to achieve it to live up to, to the life that God's called us to, the, the joy that it has to, man, it, to, to, to walk in our calling, it really is complete sacrifice as Mary lives out here. I'm the Lord's servant. Just let it be fulfilled in me. And so maybe some of you just, today's the first day you just give yourself to Jesus. And for others of you, maybe today's a day that God's been speaking, he's been stirring something in you and you just feel like, Man, just more than ever before, God, I just don't want this to be something on my lips, but I want it to be fulfilled in me. I want your rhema to be fulfilled in me, and I just pray that, that today we would just find true joy and rejoicing that we're highly favored of God, that, and during this season, we can just be contemplative over our calling and just rid ourselves of ourselves. In a time in which we're always looking about what we can get, we would look to how we can pour ourselves out and just be encouraged in our faith by the people around us who are living and walking in their calling and who God's been faithful to. Let's pray. God, I thank you for these people. I thank you for the joy that you've given me in my calling. God, I don't know what I would do without it. I don't know what I would do if I was just struggling against my calling, but God, I thank you that I get to enjoy my life with these people that you've called us to, and I just thank you that you have a unique plan for every person's life. God, I pray for those that are crossing the line to say, God, I I give myself away. God, for those that are crossing that line, I, I pray that you'd come alongside them. Help us to come alongside them and encourage them. 
God, for those today that are feeling a stirring in their calling, God, I pray that they would just rejoice in it, be contemplative over it, be encouraged in that. And may us all, God, may we all walk and fulfill the calling that you've put on our lives. We thank you for this. In Christ's name, amen.